Welcome to Three Moves Ahead. My name is Troy Goodfellow. This is the official podcast of FlashofSteel.com. With me today is a smaller panel than usual. We have freelance writer Tom Chick. Hello, everyone. If anyone needs a coffee, let me know. I'll run in there and grab it for you. And freelance writer Julian Murdoch. I don't feel small. I feel like at least normal size. Sometimes I feel pretty large. Or smaller than normal because our usual colleague, uh, usual participant, uh, Bruce Garrick, uh, is unable to join us tonight, but hopefully he'll be back sometime soon. So how are we all this evening? Good. Not, not saving <laughs> lives like Dr. Bruce, I guess. No, we can't all be lifesavers, but... Tom and I like to think that we can save people from buying bad games, which is there almost... There you go. There you go. If I stop one person from playing Deus Ex, my work will be done. <laughs> Ooh, that's harsh. Not Stalin versus not Martians? Even, that's not even true. Uh, I fully support people playing and enjoying Deus Ex. <sighs> I, that was not true at all. I just didn't Stalin care. versus uh, Martians, however. That's, you're, you're right. That's actually one that I haven't played it, but I'll, I'll join Troy... Uh, in the crusade to stop people from playing Stalin versus Martians. Even though it's now like six bucks or something. And it's satire, so it's okay. So, so is it worth the six bucks that it would cost to go to a movie? It depends on the movie. <laughs> <laughs> hey, is there any uh, diplomacy in Stalin versus Martians? <sighs> nice segue. No, there is no diplomacy in Stalin versus Martians. Uh, but today we want to talk a bit about uh, diplomacy in strategy games. How diplomacy is portrayed, uh, the problems with portraying uh, foreign policy and international relations, good experiences we've had with games, uh, single player and multiplayer. And this is partially uh, lifting off a feature I've just completed for Crispy Gamer, uh, about the top 10 games that were sort of about foreign policy. Uh, there will be a link to that article at the bottom of the podcast post on Flash of Steel. Uh, it's an article I wrote pretty mo- almost tongue-in-cheek. I left out a lot of the obvious uh, games because it would have been really easy for me to just do you know, a top ten strategy games uh, because the best strategy games all have really good uh, diplomacy and they're at least better than average. Uh, you guys have the list in front of you. Um, anything you think I, I should have... I, I want to I just immediately disagree with your premise that the best strategy games all have diplomacy in them. Okay, the deepest strategy games. How's that? The most well, I mean, my, my most okay. Well, most full featured. Okay, fine. That's like well, right. in, just in that Julian. In that diplomacy is a crucial part of how entities interact. And, and if you're talking about the strategic level of you know recreating strategies, isn't isn't that almost always a part of a big strategic picture? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I mean, Julian's right. I mean, you, Company of Heroes is a great strategy game, and it has no diplomacy in it. It's a tactical so, game, though. I mean, come on, we got right. to say, but there, there's. Let's uh, you have know, a whole I'm podcast gonna, defining the difference between strategy and tactics. That'll be great. Oh, no, <laughs> no, God. And actually, okay, so here's here's one area where I would come in. I think there is some diplomacy in real time strategy games, in that if you're playing amongst. Human players. Now, as someone who has the luxury to play real-time strategy games with with a circle of friends frequently, there is a, a, a little personal sort of meta level. It's almost like diplomacy. Like like people know that if I've played the game the most, I'm sort of the biggest threat. So they'll they'll come gunning for me in a team. And there's there is that sort of meta level. Is could you count that as well, diplomacy? I think so. 
I, well, and I think that that's actually what makes a lot of times strategy games the most satisfying is when that component is there. I mean, I, I, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I think multiplayer games are almost always more satisfying because you know you're crushing the testicles of the guy across the computer. And it's even more satisfying when you've done it as part of some sort of diplomatic negotiation. Because right, diplomacy by its nature is kind of fair. But that's sort you of... And I negotiate something and, and you still lose, that's really satisfying. But that sort of stuff is almost outside of the game and independent of the game. I mean, it's... Right. It can uh, be. It can be. But it can be, it can be, it can be uh, mitigated by the game. It can be enhanced by the game. I mean, if it's, if it's derived, I would say if it's derived from game mechanics and it's a diplomatic part of the game, it's derived from me knowing Tom always kicks my ass at Rise of Nations, so I build an alliance against him. That has nothing to do with the game Rise of Nations. That has to do with or, Tom right, being a real strategy game player than I am. Well, but or steer clear if, of me. That's but another. Even option. if there's no, even if there's no mechanic that lets you necessarily know that about Tom or interact with that fact about Tom, there can still be mechanics that make it useful or, and easy to do something about that knowledge. I mean, we we were talking about DefCon before. DefCon doesn't have a, any really particularly satisfying diplomacy system in it, right? Uh, but it does have the ability to make an alliance, and you can then break an alliance, and those alliances mean something. You get access to other people's intel, you know, some fairly traditional mechanics about when you're on an alliance with somebody. But I've found DEFCON to be the most satisfying when I've had four or five players, and we've all been sitting here frantically typing messages to each other, talking about what we were going to do and when we would do it, and if you do this, I'll do that, and, and really great negotiations that are the heart of diplomacy in a game. Um, and that game lends itself to that because the game is, in fact, so simple that the things that can be up for negotiation in, in diplomacy are, are really usable. But we can distinguish between diplomacy as portrayed in a game. For example, a diplomatic system you would find in something like Galactic Civilizations 2. Right. And which does it game, very well. Which does it very well. Or a game like Age of Empires or DEFCON where it's, you know, I'll make an alliance with you for the moment. And the alliance is pretty much I won't attack you until I decide to attack you. Right. Right. So right. here's the one. Do you guys know what I'm going to mention here? If I bring up which RTS has the best built-in diplomacy system that actually uses in-game mechanics? Well, now you should say RTS because I was going to say yeah. Galsif 2, which isn't... Well, right, but if we based. just... Cause, and I'm just sort of segueing from Company of Heroes, which I'll buy, yeah. But if we're, we're thinking of RTSs as a genre, because uh, I think this is... It, it's, it trumps, I think, DEF CON... Uh, Certainly, like, just a straight-up RTS that builds diplomacy into the gameplay mechanics. Do you guys know what I'm thinking of? Because once I say it, you guys are both going to probably go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But you do, this is like your trademark now, is to, like, reach into the <laughs> bag of Tom and say, I've played more games than God, and here's no, no, you the guys, one that I've got Come on, no, you guys both know this game. This is, as a matter of fact, if you were to sort of, if we were to do a podcast on feature X in real-time strategy games, invariably, no matter what X references, this real-time strategy game will probably come up. One of the Warlords games? No. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay, you guys ready? Right. Okay. Rise of Nations. Well, okay. That was on the tip of my tongue, but I thought it was too obvious. 
Well, because it does have, yes. I mean, there are many gameplay modes, but the default gameplay mode, you're at peace with everyone. So if you right. go into someone else's territory, your guys take additional attrition damage until you declare war, in which case you take normal attrition damage, but now your units will, will fight each other, and you can raid his villages and, and whatnot. Uh, well, and you actually I, have to pay I mean, money. does so many things so well that, right. I mean, it's almost unfair to highlight that. And you actually have to pay you have to pay money to declare war as well. So yeah. it's sort of like you can't just immediately start attacking someone. It requires some building up, I, some I saving. Haven't played, I haven't played Arwen in so long, but am I right that it's actually really hard to get out of war with somebody? Am I thinking of the right well, they game? Well, you was... have to both agree that, okay, we're not going to fight anymore. And, and the odds, of, just because of personal interaction, the odds of someone actually... I thought there was some actual like penalty to that. I'm thinking of another game. What am I thinking of? Well, generally, the, the, the penalty is people make peace with you if you pay them tribute. Like if you're losing, well, yeah. No, but I, I, thought, I thought I remembered it being a game. I'm thinking of something else. Never mind. Uh, but so that's just an RTS that comes to mind. But then once we open the floor to, you, you know, grander strategy games, then, uh, yeah, there's a whole lot more to talk well, about. Well, I mean, how, how, how many minutes can we go without talking about the game that is named after this theory, right? Diplomacy, right? Which is a board game. I mean, which, I, is I impossible, which is impossible to translate to the computer. No, there's a computer game. I'm sure it's awesome. It's, well, it, you know, that Atari diplomacy. It must have been great. There are three oh, of sure. them. Oh, sure, it was killer. There are all great, solid AI, AI lots of personality. <laughs> there are great rules adjudication engines for playing diplomacy online. That has nothing to do with there being a computer game version of it. There actually I, I was, Julian. There were three. Right, and the last were all terrible. notoriously bad. Right. They were right. all terrible, but I'm just saying that there are great rules adjudication systems for diplomacy, but there's no actual good computer game of it, Right. Right. I don't, well, I don't think diplomacy is one that you can play without uh, human players. I don't think no, nobody has successfully given us an AI that lets us play diplomacy. I don't think. No, I mean, that, when I reviewed that game for uh, Computer Games Magazine way back in the day, the late lamented uh, CGM, uh, one of the points I made in my review was that the rules of diplomacy are really beside the point. That you have the best translation of the rules in the world. Uh, but that's not what diplomacy is about. Diplomacy is about trust. It's about agreements. It's about betrayal. And computers are incapable of that. Well, to me, the, the, the critical problem with diplomacy as an AI, right, which is really what we're talking about, is representing diplomacy as a non-human-to-human interaction, is really gets down to basics, even in a game as simple as something like Settlers of Catan, which involves sort of trading stuff. Like in a basic trading game, you can model... You know whether or not it's okay for the computer to trade you some sheep for a brick, but the thing that's really difficult to model is I'll trade you the best thing I have in my hand three turns from now, right? And that's when diplomacy gets really interesting is when you start trading future considerations and you start playing into unknowns. That's when diplomacy gets to be the most interesting. And that's and in the game, Diplomacy with a capital D, that's when it gets most interesting is when you start talking about, well, when I go and make this invasion two turns from now, will you give me this kind of support? And you're trading on futures that may or may not happen. That's right. when diplomacy gets the most interesting and the most satisfying. So who before Gal Sib, because I know Brad Wardell, like with the Galactic Civilization games, was really good about making these little sort of diplomacy offer 
constructs where you say, I'll give you this planet for this much money, and you could sort of assemble together a little dialogue option. And didn't right. that come from Master of Orion? Like, yes. where did that It was totally a Moo. Con- that was Moo. I mean, I remember that okay. from Moo. Uh, and that's close to what you're talking about, and that's really tough to do because well, but, you, but, you end up but being that, able to game that's the still AI. Static. That's still static. I mean, to me, that's always the most interesting when you start making a deal with somebody that says, I will give you a wheat in three turns. That's when it gets really interesting. Or when you start saying, I you know, I will not touch France for three turns, and in return, you're going to help me in Hungary two turns from now. Right. That's when diplomacy, to me, is the most interesting as a player because now I'm not only dealing with the static nature of this is my strategic situation on the map, but this is where I think it's going to go next. That's okay, but I no games do that, so that's right. kind of but that, but a moot that's point. The, but, that's, but as far as what games do, uh, I think the closest we can get to that, as I was saying, are, are things like what Gal Civ 2 does and what, what it drew from Master constructions. Of Yeah, these complicated constructions. I think that is... That is true, and certainly most games, I mean, even something as recent as, uh, like, Empire Total War certainly has things like, well, I, I agree not to attack you for X number of turns. I mean, that those sorts of things are pretty common. Right. Um, one uh, game that was sort of had, had, I think, had a very good diplomatic system, had a lot of other things wrong with it, was Paradox's Victoria. And you may not remember the diplomatic, and you haven't played that, have you, Julian? I have not played it. In the Europa Universalis type games, are you familiar with it, Tom? Not, not Victoria. I know Paradox's games, and certainly the EU games, but I don't yeah, know I Victoria. Yeah, I the EU games. Victoria had a really strange alliance system. You could make an alliance with a country that had exceptions. Like, I will ally with you against Russia, huh. but not against Turkey. Hmm. Uh, all kinds of limitations you could put on alliances and situations. And, of course, the AI wasn't strong enough to make good use of it, and the system was pretty complicated in general, like everything in Victoria. just had too many menus and too many options to track. But that was really a good way of letting the AI know and letting players know in multiplayer where you thought your threats were coming from and Mm -hmm. giving yourself an out in a war. It was one of the big problems in diplomacy and strategy games, and alliances especially, is you find yourself automatically dragged into a war you want no part of, either because they're your friend, uh, I guess it's a World War One model, only it's, it's worse, because uh, it could throw out all of your plans. I, I think part of the problem with diplomacy in a real-time strategy game in particular is that diplomacy takes time to negotiate. I mean, if you can start adding a lot of layers into a negotiation where you're going to say, I will be your ally against France, but not against Turkey, um, and and I will provide you with this set of resources for four turns, and then after five turns, you have to give me this other set of resources, and this is the amount that I'm going to have to pay in tribute to break this treaty or whatever. Um, negotiating those things, even against an AI opponent in a real-time strategy game, could be pretty crippling because my experience of RTSs is, is that they've, for the most part, gotten faster. They haven't gotten slower. I mean, there are exceptions. I think things like Sins of a Solar Empire is actually quite a long game by RTS standards. Um, you can't call Victoria an RTS, though. I don't think that's allowed. Yeah, it moves in real time, but it's really just a... It's a turn-based game that moves in real time. 
Because it's yeah. I mean, <laughs> so slow it, that it counts as turns. Well, because you can it, slow it down. I mean, you can slow it down to like one day going in, yeah. you know, in a matter of seconds. Well, or you I mean, can do that, and that's that's the conceit of DefCon too, which I think is one of the brilliant things about DefCon is that well, right, but, but as fast as the slowest player. But you, you, you can even you plays can on a whole pause. different level. You you can pause in Victoria. It takes you oh, know. Okay. Okay. It takes calendar months for your troops to move from one place to the next. This isn't. It's basically the EU engine uh, applied to Victorian England, right? I mean, it's right. that same that level of detail, and uh, yeah. Only so I think one of the things you raised, Troy, uh, which I, I think is a key to doing good diplomacy in a game, uh, you can put together these menus with lots of options, and it it really does make it feel interactive and like you're cobbling together elaborate de- uh, deals. But but for me, the key is that there is, and you mentioned this with Alpha Centauri, is that there is some sort of personality on the other side, is that you are interacting with some sort of an entity. Right. Uh, and, and that's where Alpha Centauri is, to me, I, I guess I might say that might be my favorite strategy game with diplomacy, uh, is that there is, it just had so much personality. And diplomacy without personality, uh, I mean, there's just not that much there, I think. Because uh, math, yeah. 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 Right. It's math. Exactly. Uh, so your mention of Alpha Centauri, I, I think that's the tough one to beat. Right? Well, I think the, I think the, the beauty of Alpha Centauri is it, it's. I'm going to haul out my international relations education here. Is it introduces the the irrational into diplomacy right. and certain, certain people won't negotiate with certain other people, and no matter what, but they have they things. have certain things they will not budge from. And they have right. then that's they have, they have a line they won't cross. And even if it's rational for them to move over to a more profitable philosophy or to make a deal with you, uh, they don't think about things rationally anymore. And my mentors uh, in graduate school were really big on hammering into my brain the futility of the rational actor model in international relations. It just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Alpha Centauri does a really good job of capturing that. I think the pers- that's one reason why the personalities work so well because you know what they will and will not do. Well, and to some extent, I think that that actually gets to uh, a bit of the storytelling aspect of Alpha Centauri, which is that that is a very well realized game. It's not just that the system develops that. It's that all the backstory and the flavor around it makes you really believe that uh, whatever that you know Morgan Industries is the worst people in the world and they're just going to like burn coal until the earth melts, right? I mean, you really get that feeling as you play that game over and over again. You get that sense of those those races, those cultures. Now, does a game without diplomacy really suffer? And I, I wish Bruce was here because he might have a few choice words about whether or not Dominions needs diplomacy because that's sort of infamous for being this this great game that, that has wonderful support for multiplayer where you get you know 10 people into a game and there's no in-game mechanic for diplomacy. So if Troy, if you and I are playing and we agree to ally against Julian... There's no way to keep our armies from getting tangled with each other, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Like, if you're between me and, and uh, Julian, and I want to attack Julian, I have to fight through your little dudes first, because Dominions is a game with no mechanic for diplomacy or peace. It's just everybody's constantly at a state of war. Yeah, it doesn't... It, it, it's the Hobbesian war of all against all, and, you know, <laughs> you... Your your everyone is your enemy, and there's no way of getting around that. Um, and I think that is one of the weaknesses of the Dominion uh, Dominion's game. I think that there's a difference in a territory control game, which inevitably runs into those things. I don't think all strategy games immediately suffer from the lack of diplomacy 
I, I, I think that's probably a big state. Well, but I do think Dominions does because it's built so well for multiple player for human interaction, and it's missing that crucial element of human interaction, I think. And right. I can't blame them because it's such a small team, and to their credit, they didn't cobble together some half-assed solution. They just kind of said, well, this is really beyond our capabilities, so you don't get it. Screw it. There are plenty of examples of games where you can't actually get out of the way. I mean, even if you're just sitting down at the table with you know, a bunch of teenagers and playing Risk, no matter what kind of alliance you make, somebody you, you're still going to have to sacrifice something to let your quote-unquote ally run through you. Yeah, but Risk, right. is, a, Risk is a stupid game. Risk <laughs> is a stupid game, and it's also a very simple game, and so I wouldn't expect that to really fit into Risk, whereas something as elaborate and well-thought-out as Dominions, I am a little disappointed that doesn't have any mechanic for me and Troy to gang up on you. Mind you, would ever do such a thing. Mind you, that it doesn't fit with the Dominion's backstory either. So I'm not. Yeah, that's why I'm, I was wishing Bruce was here. He would really be able to explain to us, you know, why all these sides only ever fight. Uh, your I, little Hobbesian reference, Troy, was that. I'll I'll suffice with that. That's good. Let's just go with the developers embracing total that war. philosophy. I like total that. war. Yeah. <laughs> only the everyone game, dies. Except Dominion's games are hardly ever nasty, brutish, and short. Very, wow, look at you. Roll up them out oh. the other. That's very nice. Well done, Troy. You know what? You're going to fill in our uh, our week's quota for highfalutin references, even without Bruce here. Very well done. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to come up with some down-market ones. We can balance it out. I'm sure you have a Family Guy reference or something. You can <laughs> Yeah, just do a fairly, a fairly Brothers thing or something. Or, yeah, that'll Jeez, work. what do you guys think of me? <laughs> really? I don't even have cable. So we've talked a bunch about what... It's like to have a, a good diplomacy relation with with a potential, maybe even an AI on the other side. But what, do, what does the game need to do to enable really the person-to-person diplomacy, even if it's not in the system? So, I mean, we talked about Dominions where you've got this place where, you know, you and Troy want to beat up on me, but you can't really. I mean, you can't really just get out of the way and say, well, okay, well both of us are going to just take each other's territories, beat up on me, not have to worry about each other. Um what what level action actually has to happen before those things ha- those things are useful because i mean i when we were talking about this earlier to me my best interactions have really been in defcon i mean i'm i'm, I'm thinking about the the places where i've had the most protracted negotiations and the most like fabulous backstabbing at the end to kill everybody and feeling like i've played the ultimate betrayer and and really just sort of crowed about my diplomacy victories and they've been on in a game like defcon which has just most minimal layer of actual game mechanics i mean is it do we need the game mechanic to carry this or can we just do this as people well that's one thing so so when you have a, a simple game like defcon and I think Risk is another example of this. It, it does let the game get out of the way so personal interaction can sort of fill in. Uh, the, the classic example of that is, uh, you know, kids playing Risk, uh, getting upset with each other. I don't know about you guys, but I've probably come closer to slugging my friends doing stuff like Risk than, than anything else. Uh, oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. And it's partly because Risk is so stupid that it gets out of the way and, and lets <laughs> these other little personal things bubble up. Uh, if you were to have this whole layer of game mechanics... Uh, and you know what, actually, so I think the closest I've gotten in terms of like being really pissy... I'm going to confess something here. So there's a there's a board game called Twilight Imperium. Uh, oh, no, no, Twilight Imperium. Twilight yeah, Imperium? yeah, and it might even have three after the number. It's that great big huge elaborate. Oh yeah, I know it really well. So awesome. I was 
I was subjected to I and and the game goes on for you know you can get these eight, five hour eight, nine games. days something like yeah, that. Exactly. yeah exactly uh, and it's a great system it involves all sorts of relatively elegant board game mechanics and it's science fiction and there's some good theming going on and maybe two years ago we had a game that had been going on for a while and I was in the lead and everybody conspired against me and gameplay wise it was the total right thing to do. But I remember just sort of thinking, well, F this game, forget these guys, and just basically sulking for the final, I don't know, three or four hours of the game, and it just really brought out the petulant 12-year-old in me. So what awesome. I was going to say, yeah, and what I was going to say, Julian, about if it's a really simple game that gets out of the way and lets that sort of personal element bubble up, I'm realizing that's not true because I'm thinking back to my, my, my shameful display of, of immaturity <laughs> during during a Twilight Imperium game way back when and that's pretty elaborate. Well, uh, but but in Twilight Imperium again the the diplomacy and the personal interaction there is really X game. I mean that, that it's not that somebody signed a, a an elaborate alliance which gave them 12 turns to extract or anything like that. I mean that was most likely a classic risk alliance where like there were four of you and two of them said, well, we're going to just beat on Tom. And right. they did because you were strong at the moment. And it's and also, Julian, it's face to face. That's another thing, too. Absolutely. It's, a, it's something that board games don't have. When we're playing a computer game, you know, and we've had epic Rise of Nations matches where everybody ends up aligned. You know, you play where nobody's diplomatically aligned with anyone else and you let it bubble out during the gameplay and everybody's back is to each other pretty much so there's there's it's not quite as in your face as is something like a twilight imperium session uh yeah see to me i don't i i actually miss that i miss that level of personal interaction about alliances and and i feel like that the best the best multiplayer strategy games online let you at least codify it somehow Right and 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 provide a mechanism for. I mean, it, it sometimes it comes down to the simplest things like can you set up a, an alliance chat? I mean, it, that sounds like a stupid thing, but sometimes just being able to set up an alliance chat window between three of five opponents might be much more important than any level of system you will apply to the game. So, what does it say about us that we're doing all this talk about diplomacy and foreign policy and alliances? And all we're talking about is stabbing the other guy in the back. But that's what it is in the end, right? Because ultimately there can only be there can be only one, right? I mean, I mean, there's no, it, no talk of cooperation, no talk of international institutions, of peacekeeping, of reconstruction, nation building. Ah, right. fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. And and ideally, if we were going to construct the ultimate diplomacy solution for our strategy games, they would have valuable and interesting and compelling systems that did all of those cooperative elements you know, well. So that Tom and I could work together towards solving the ultimate wonder of the world, and we could have a shared kissing your sister victory over you. But, you know... Nobody really likes those kissing your kissing your sister victories. I don't. What on earth are you talking about? What is that? Kissing your sister victories? I don't even know what that means. Is that a Defcon thing? It's it's a sports analogy. No, it's like it's like you want to be you want to be the ultimate victor, and a shared victory is never as sweet as the ultimate last minute backstab to be the only victor. What does that have to do with kissing your sister? That's the. You've never heard that expression before. 
I don't I don't watch hockey or whatever whatever it is where they talk that way. Kissing that's your when it's like that's like that's like not it's actually going all the way. It's a know? kiss, but it's your sister. Right. Exactly. So like I'm you kissing get... Julian's sister or I'm kissing my own sister because I haven't <laughs> even met Julian. <laughs> this is very uncomfortable. We're getting you you people bringing your sports metaphors to strategy gaming. It's just no room for that. Oh my god. International relations in strategy games is always combative. It's alliances against, it's wars against. You can't cooperate to build a wonder of the world. In civilization, you can't share the benefits of a wonder of the world. Even in a team, uh, can, can you in team civilization? Like if I was to build, oh, I have no idea. I mean, there's shared victory conditions. When you when you in okay, Rise of Nations and diplomacy, <laughs> when you join a team, then you guys are both like, for instance, the wonders of the world you've built. Because one of the victory conditions in Rise of Nations yeah. is to reach a certain number of points of Wonders of the World. Right. So like when you, and you're done. yeah, yeah. Right. So, so if you, that's the thing is when you're playing, if you see okay, this game has a victory condition of of twelve Wonder points, I six. Julian, you've got six. I send you a little chat saying, hey, let's ally. We do that, and it immediately starts the victory timer. So does Julian hold out to win on his own, or does he join me and we go in for a shared victory condition? It's That's much not more quite common as- in, a, in a true team game. I mean, uh, my most recent experiences with this have been big, like three-on-three uh, Sins of a Solar Empire games, which can go on for five or six hours straight. But then you know you're on a team of three people from the beginning, and that's a very right. different feel, right? That's not diplomacy. That's like, okay, Dave's going to run economy, and Rob's going to run, you know, frontline offense, and we're going to have Julian run, uh, you know, defense and tech build, right? And that's a very different division of labor versus, uh, oh, well, I have this alliance that could be broken. And for a while, we're going to work towards a condition, and we have to have some level of trust. Yeah, and it really is, though. I mean, it's tough because, you know, so much of video gaming, it it just relies on just contentious stuff. You know, fight, shoot, destroy, and, uh, yeah, so rolling these other factors. (laughs) Uh, But I've always liked, that's what I like about... Uh, things like the EU games, even as wonky as the AI can get, is there's just so much like mucking around with diplomacy. Like, so isn't it? So in EU, you can only like make an offer when you have a little diplomat token, basically. Yes. Uh, yes. You so, have to like actually work to be diplomatic. Right. So I like that. I mean, that's you know those sort of little abstractions to represent how diplomatic your nationality is. You know, and that's that's a, a more of a math example to the Alpha Centauri personality examples. But by God, I'd take that. You know, that works for me. If you can't get personality, at least little little tricky little rules like that. Uh, now, the so the, the Total War Empire, uh, I, like, I think the AI in that is just... I, I, to me, that's a game that was sort of killed by bad AI. But that, that has some terrible ways you can game the diplomacy there. Like, with giving it a useless province somewhere that it can't use and it somehow flags that as being worth just a crazy number of you know love points or whatever in the diplomacy <laughs> system that it's like you know here have have this little well and, and and conversely i mean there were there were quite a few times when i was actually still trying to pay attention to that game where i would like try to negotiate with somebody who would be like look just give up this one stupid little fort and i'll give you a ridiculous amount of everything and right. they would never say yes right i mean and, it was and, they they build that into the gameplay so much. I mean that just drives me crazy. In it, where, where they're going to rest so much gameplay on a system that falls apart so easily. 
but we're about to stray into a discussion of bad AI. So I'll just pull back from that and say, you know, to do diplomacy right, yeah, you have to make have the to AI good. sort of understand it. Or, or you have to let people do it and just provide the system to let the people make all the choices and make it multiplayer only. So yeah, once the multiplayer cam- cam- campaign comes out for Empire Total War, I'm sure it'll be great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, isn't that that's two player only, isn't it? Are they doing a yeah two, two player only, and I can't imagine it ever working. Yeah, yeah. It would just be even easier to beat up on the AI, I would think. Uh, the diplomacy in uh, Fall from Heaven, the the Civ Four mod. Uh, and actually, this rests on the basic concepts in Civ IV. Uh, it's not quite the level of Alpha Centauri, but I love how it takes into account things like, are you the same religion as me? Or in Fall from Heaven, are you good or evil? Uh, you know, there are all these modifiers, and I love, and, and this, I think, comes from the Paradox games. I love the fact, I actually, I don't know, did Civ do this first? That you can hover, that you can find out exactly what makes another side like or hate you, you know, with little numerical modifiers, like minus one, you're a bad religion, minus five, you declared war on us a long time ago, uh, you know, minus one for refusing this trade offer. I love being able to see that. Again, that's just math. Um, but by, it, it, by, by making the math transparent, it makes the diplomacy for the player more real, because you know right. what you need to do yeah. to repair this relationship. Yeah, and yeah. so it's easy to say. Well, I mean, it'd be easy to dismiss this. And say, well, it's just it's too transparent. Well, most human relations have a level of transparency about them. I right. mean, and, uh, 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 unless it is your wife, you generally know why somebody doesn't like you. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I think there is a modifier in Fall from Heaven where the female leaders like all have a negative modifier. Like there's they're cross gender uh, relationship penalties. I believe in Fall from Heaven. Really, <laughs> I think so. Fair. Yes. Uh, and I think the way it's expressed, I, I wish I could remember the wording, but it's something like if you're a male leader and you hover over the tooltip for a female leader, it says something like you lack grace. <laughs> you know, the, the women have a very definite perspective that the men are all clumsy brutes. Uh, so minus one diplomacy. Suck it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Can, uh, so I want to, uh, before we conclude, I don't know if we're close, but I had a couple of little shout-outs I wanted to give. Should we do that? or uh, We're not that close yet, but you go ahead, and maybe they'll lead somewhere interesting. This might not lead to diplomacy, so this could be me taking us off topic, in which case I apologize in advance. That's fine. Uh, we did our, our Tower Defense podcast last week on Plants vs. Zombies, and Troy, based on someone in the comments thread on Flash of Steel, a fellow named Reith, uh, I don't R H Y T H E. He recommended a tower defense game called uh, Immortal Defense, uh, which just on a whim I sort of took a look at and, and just fell in love with this thing. It's it's a very abstract, stylized kind of geometry wars. It's like something that Introversion might do. Uh, it has that same you know it's on with the sort of line graphics, the same as Defcon or Geometry Wars, and the conceit is that you're in what's called path space. It's just, it's like a little cyber reality thing. Uh, but it's such an intriguing, haunting looking, simple, uh, almost minimalist tower defense game, uh, made by, I don't even know, the guys are called RPG Creations. And RPG never doesn't stand for role-playing games. I'd never heard of them before. I think it seems to me by looking at their webpage, it's just a small group of friends, uh, 
but this game is this this immortal defense game I love. Uh, so I just wanted to thank Rife from your comment section, Troy, for mentioning immortal defense. Uh, thank you, Rife. Uh, and the other thing, and Troy, I told you a little bit about this before. And Julian, I think you, Julian, didn't your Wii, your Nintendo Wii, die recently? Yes, but it's feeling better now. It is feeling better. Okay, then I, I won't feel bad bringing this up. Uh, so, Julian, I know you like Coldcept, right? What I, would you? I liked think it of, okay, but yeah, but go ahead. Okay, what would you think of Coldcept without the CCG stuff? Then it would be even less interesting. Hmm. What if, in lieu of the CCG stuff, you plugged in like a JRPG? Then you're playing a JRPG, but it's got a board game. Okay, well, the, we, lay it on me. <laughs> oh, well, that, that's it. I mean, it's a game called Decapon Kingdoms, uh, and someone named Flyin' J, a fellow from Quarter to Three, recommended it way back when. I ignored the recommendation, didn't think anything of it, and just stumbled across it recently. And this is totally a strategy. It's a board game. It's a, but instead of having the Coldcept CCG plugged onto it, it's got this sort of JRPG, this Japanese RPG plugged onto it, where you're leveling up a character, you're going through little turn-based combats, uh, you, cha- you change your classes, you're gathering inventory, but you, you basically roll a die and you move a number of spaces on the board. You're, you're capturing towns, just like uh, you're capturing spaces in Coldcept. You upgrade the towns to improve your score. Uh, there can be dramatic reversals of fortune if somebody steals one of your towns. Um, but it's this great board game for the Wii uh, that happens oh, to have this okay. fantasy RPG trapping. Uh, and it's a full I've, it's a full retail game, or is it a download? It's game? a full retail game that only costs like twenty bucks. Uh, wow. I don't know if it came out at that at that rate. But it's a great party game to play with four people and talk about diplomacy. There's all kinds of like you know screwing over human players, like so many of the the later items and the spells and whatnot, and even the one of the classes, like the thief, whenever you roll a number and pass another player on the board as a thief, you steal one of his items. So there's all this sort of like like backstabbing each other and, and betraying each other and taking stuff that you really and you need. Say it's you say it's multiplayer. I mean, can you actually like sit down with people who don't know this game, play for a couple hours and be done? You absolutely can, although I don't know about the... Yeah, you, yeah, you absolutely can. Now, the basic mode you play it in is what's called story mode, and that could go on for, I, I think, many nights. You can save it at any time, but you can set limits on how many turns you're going to play uh, for a shorter game. And it also offers... I'm intrigued to try this. There, there are some alternate victory conditions. So one of the victory conditions uh, is... I forget what the name of it is, but it's basically a scavenger hunt where when the game starts, you're all given a list of items that you can buy around the map, and the first person to buy all of these items and then return to the home castle wins the game. Uh, So they've done really clever things. It supports up to four players. You can even play it single player and have the AI uh, play the other rounds. You can do it just two players, so even if like you and a friend wanted to play it. But I've really been enjoying that. I was very pleased to discover that. Uh, As a board gamer, as someone who likes these sort of abstract board game mechanics. I've really enjoyed uh, Dokapon Kingdoms. Dokapon so. Kingdoms. Dokapon. Okay. What a stupid name. I have, really I have is. One, if we're, if we're going to dip a little bit into stuff we've covered before, so I have one little tie back to the Plants vs. Zombies thing, which is immediately after like going crazy on Plants vs. Zombies, I started playing Free Realm, Sony's free-to-play uh, MMO. Um, With a CCG be- in it. Which, well, and mostly because my daughter was homesick for two days, so I was playing with her, like, side by side, 
and and there is actually a, a remarkably interesting little tower defense game in it. Uh, much more tradi- much more like the old Warcraft mods, where like they're defined paths ahead of time, as opposed to the open field, which is a much more modern sense of a of a desktop tower defense game. Um, so you're definitely like you've already got a maze set out for you, and you have to figure out where to place your pretty limited towers in it. Um, but it's surprisingly good inside that, and the C- and the CCG in it, as kitty as it looks on the front end. Uh, I've been blowing major time and a little bit of money into that one as well. So there's. And some... by the way, Julian, that CCG in Free Realms, I don't know if it borrows because I don't know if they originated with this other game, but it uses some of the same mechanics as the Warcraft uh, CCG that that I talked about on the PSP. It is. It it definitely has some similarity to that. Um, I don't know that there's any actual like literal connection i i think it's soe denver which has done all of the sony uh ccg stuff they did the, i think the pirates game and they did the legends of norath which is the ccg inside everquest um but it's really well done and it's really refined and you can certainly sit down and play it quickly if you're a 12 year old kid uh but there's a lot of depth to it so are you actually building decks yet like are you at that oh point yeah yeah no it? i actually blew a bunch of money and bought a bunch of decks <laughs> When you say blew a bunch of money, like how much do you need to like, to like, spend? To really- I, I spent like thirty bucks buying virtual fake cards, but and you can, can also you just like out of run around the. Yeah, you can run around the MMO world and do quests and get cards from doing quests, and they're actually useful. They're like actually good cards. So if you blow fifteen minutes or twenty minutes or half an hour running a quest line, and the reward at the end of it is a card. It's actually probably a pretty good, pretty rare card that you're not just going to find everywhere. Now, we should explain, in Free Realms, part of how it works is all these little mini-games, aren't they sort of like like uh, like classes or like skills? Like yes. you level up yourself. Right, so you actually can be a class called a card duelist. Ah, right, right. And, and, and you know, grind The same that. with the tower defense game, right? Uh, I, don't, I don't know whether there's a separate class for tower defense. I don't think there is. So what level card duelist are you? Like six. I mean, I have wow. played that. Yeah, uh, that's but good. You only that's get good. you only get you only get a credit. Like you only you only level up your card duelist if you're doing quests and stuff like that. So you can sit you there in like, the lobby of the game and just play against random people, and I don't think it has any impact on your your level in the game. Have you played against random people? Oh yeah, 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 for sure. And, and have you prevailed against random people? Not very often. But, but a little bit, but a little bit. Um, but it's really, it's really, it's really kind of compelling. I, I, I'm, I'm more hooked on it than I should be. I'm embarrassed to say. But and would you recommend it to someone uh, who's not into CCGs as sort of a, no, a, a, I would, is it a good I, gateway a, CCG? I do not think it's a gateway CCG at all. There, there are a couple of fairly complicated concepts going on in it at once. Um, that's probably the failing of it is because it is sort of designed to be targeted at younger people. Um, it is not as simple as something like Pokemon or anything like that. Um, it's not quite as complex as Magic, but when you actually get under the mechanics, there's an awful lot going on, and it could quickly get as complex as something like a Magic. So um, I'm I'm really enjoying it, but but you know, come on, it's free. How can you avoid trying it? It's free. It's not free. You just told us you had to pay thirty bucks to like get a good spread of cards. Yeah, oh, well, you know you what you did? Play, no, you you didn't can play you a couple play. hours of this game right. just playing in the starter deck, and you'd be happy. You know, it's like free to try, basically. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Just like that, Harold. That's the thing about Free Realms, is that Free Realms early on, 
I, uh, for, heroin is free to try, yeah. Uh, first one's free. The, the thing about Free Realms early on is that it, it's early on showing you, hey, here's this game, you can play it, and you should really think about spending money on this element. But then you can run around and do stuff, but it's constantly, like, showing you. Like, if I had kids, I'm not sure I'd... Like, does your daughter want to buy a lot of stuff? Are you having to say no to her much? Or it just seems no, like no, it's designed no. to constantly show you ways to spend. I spent five bucks to buy her for the month, to, like to get her set for the month. I mean, now, does she get like? Can she get a pet with that? Like, I noticed that was one thing. Is that when you play, you're definitely going to want a pet, but you have to pay money right off the bat to get a pet, don't you? I think she got a pet when I paid for the first month. Okay, but compared to compared to playing for paying for a regular MMO subscription for fifteen bucks a month, I mean. Yeah, you know what? That, that's a good point. Yeah, but a regular MMO doesn't have the word free in the title, though. I just want to point out. <laughs> <laughs> good point. Good point. But I do agree. I did really like what I saw of the CCG in there. And I was like, you know what? Good for them for uh, putting something of moderate complexity in there. Maybe littler kids might be befuddled by this. But I can see teenagers who are well on their way to being strategy game geeks really getting into the CCG and Free Realms, and, yeah. and older strategy game geeks like, like yourself, Julian, and, and like me. and uh, Troy, you might even like the CCG and Free Realms. Well, I know, I I know we've got a bunch of people we got a bunch of people hooked at Gamers with Jobs. I know that uh, the Jerry from Penny Arcade is totally hooked on the CCG, so there's some, there's some advocates out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. You guys and your CCGs. <laughs> children, children, we're children. Uh, I did recently download uh, Star Chamber again and looked at it and thought, oh, this looks awesome, but it just didn't... You know what? It's the learning curve of getting back into a sophisticated CCG is really prohibitive. I, I looked at all the cards, and it, it's, it's, it's like when you play an MMO and you get a high-level character, and then you stop playing for three months or whatever, and then three months later you boot it up again, and your screen no is idea. festooned yeah. with icons that are all, you know, mean nothing to you. It's like, what is that? What is this picture? What does that do? And there's that, that sort of wall of reacquaintance that you've got to climb. Uh, and I felt that with Star Chamber. I looked at it, and I was like, this is awesome. I'd love to get back into this, but I, I don't really want to spend the hour it's going to take yeah. at this point. Yeah. Uh, well, I had the same experience with Alpha Centauri last week when I installed it to play it again, and I just, the interface, I mean, it's a great game, and I love it, and I'm going to spend more time with it. Uh, but the interface is just so terrible. It did re- you unfold your poster of the tech tree? I don't think I have a poster of the tech tree. <gasps> Whoa, wow, that's sad. That's yeah, such an it's integral, very integral part of the experience of Alpha Centauri. I have the manual. that huge tech tree. I have the manual, but I do not have a copy of the tech tree. Just print Did you it lose out. it or you never had it? Just print I, it out. I think I bought my copy. I think my copy was a gift from somebody. didn't used and it didn't come with the uh, tech tree. So that's like that's like not having the cloth map from one of those I don't know what 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 really Infocom games yeah yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, the tech tree maps for every version of Civilization except Alpha Centauri and that's the best one I know it's sad because I always liked what people griped about that tech tree with all the the weird you know oh, oh it's odd. not intuitive it's too science fiction it's too hard sci fi I loved that that aspect of it. Uh, so yeah, yeah. well, if, if if when you come out for E three, Troy, you and I can sort of admire together my copy of the Alpha Centauri <laughs> tech tree, 
Or I'll, you I'll could bring be, it along or you could just print it out. You can just You can't no, Julian, you cannot print it out unless you've got like some some crazy you'd have to go to Kinko's where they have some industrial science yeah. printer. Tech tree is like huge and vast and and unknowable. It's almost it's almost ineffable. Uh, it's a tech tree like you have Ooh, never seen. Nicely done. Yeah, ineffable. So. The ineffable tech tree. I will name a chapter of my book the ineffable tech tree. <laughs> so for those of you people who tuned in, uh, waiting for our multiplayer uh, recap that we promised last week, as you can tell, we didn't do it. Uh, we do want to get back to that and revive uh, some of the Tom versus Bruce experience uh, for all of you listeners. Uh, we just couldn't do it tonight, and we had some networking problems, and one of our partners couldn't make it. So I'm not going to bother teasing uh, next week's because you never quite know what's going to happen. We also, can I point out, uh, before yep. we were going to play Dawn of War 2, Yes. Uh, one thing that might be worth doing, there's a huge patch in the works at Relic, uh, patch 1.3, and one of the things they're changing, which I think looks really good, uh, is the, the interface, uh, as far as what they called one of the, the elements of the interface they're addressing are what they call the decorators, which is a silly name, but it's what you call those icons that hover over a squad that tell you what kind of icon it is. And right now, they're these stylized ah, okay. pictures, and they don't make a lot of sense if it's a side that you haven't played before. So if I'm the Space Marines, and I'm going up against someone who's the Tyranids, those decorators might help me know which of my dudes is what, but the Tyranid decorators, I'm not going to know what any of that is. So they're addressing that, and they're completely revising that system, where now those decorators have a lot of helpful, specific information, rather than just a picture that that you're not going to understand. So that's in patch 1.3. But more to the point, one of the things they're doing in patch 1.3 is addressing a skirmish AI, which really needs to be addressed. I think it's just, it's like dirt stupid. But there's this interesting mea culpa that they've they've pretty much issued. They're doing a blog now where they're talking about what they're going to do in the patch. And on one of the blog pages, they talk about the things that the AI cannot do in the game, which on one hand, I'm like, well, good for you guys for fixing it. But more to the point, on the other hand, I think, why the hell did you ship the game if they can't do this stuff? Anything, right. for instance, anything in particular? Yeah, yeah. Let me just read you. So while the here, I'll just quote. This is reading from Relic's blog. While the AI was working okay, it didn't understand the nuances of the game, and frankly, left a lot of room for improvement. The first few things we focused on were the basics, such as economy, capture logic, and unit selection. So here are some of the things they say uh, that the AI wasn't doing. Uh, now the AI will. Uh, it, it will balance its power more carefully. It will spend its resources more carefully. It will evaluate how important a new unit actually is. It will v- review how much its hero needs war gear. It can evaluate whether or not to resurrect a dead hero. You know, these are things the AI will now do that it was not doing. <laughs> uh, the AI huh, selects from really? its potential units in a more... It now builds counters to what the player is producing. The AI did, did do not any do of that before. before. Did not. Uh, it drastically changes the current experience where lots of players are seeing massing of a particular Tier 1 and Tier 2 unit. So they're basically saying that it, it was concentrating. It, it seems like, I'm guessing... Basically, they're saying they didn't ship it with AI. It would pick a dumb script, is what it sounds like to me, rather than react, react wow. to anything dynamically. Capture logic is much improved, they're saying. Here we go. Before, the AI would allow you to shoot it to pieces while it tried to capture a point. Ideally, its priority should be to keep its units alive over capturing. 
So now the AI does this. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's insane. The AI would not retreat. It would, it would sit there and capture a flag and die before it would pull back. That's insane. Uh, let's see, on top of this to fundamental changes, so there's bug fixes. Uh, the most noticeable will be the targeting of abilities. Okay, here we go. Quote, the computer now knows how to stomp and kill with abilities like jump, grenades, area of effect attacks, and even orbital bombardment and eldritch storm. End quote. So they're basically saying the AI didn't know how to use these fundamental elements, these fundamental tools of of the gameplay. Uh, so you know what? Good for them for fixing that. But how this how this ships? I, I mean, I don't know. It's a scheduling thing or a priority thing or, or whatever. Uh, but it's just another. It was one of a couple of games recently that I've been so frustrated with that it shipped with an AI that couldn't actually play the game. Uh, so I'm glad to see they're improving that in, in patch 1.3, and hopefully when we play Dawn of War 2, we'll be able to uh, do it with some of the patch 1.3 improvements. Assuming we still want to do Dawn of War 2, and something more interesting doesn't come out before we do that. Like maybe what is interesting? Demigod. Yeah. Demigod actually was supposed to by now, so in effect now are a lot of the are the new. Uh, multiplayer architecture, I think. I think that's in effect now. By the time you hear this, uh, last Saturday... We'll see. Yeah, so last Saturday, Stardock, Stardock issued a beta release that sort of flipped the switch on this new architecture. Uh, yesterday, last Monday, it went live. Uh, and so right now, if you were to play Demigod, you should now get a taste of whether or not the fixes address any problems you may have been having. I haven't personally tried it, uh, so yeah, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I'm kind of skeptical, but yeah, I'm hoping for the best. Yeah. So yeah, Troy and I just now were getting a <laughs> a NAT facilitator error trying to get Dawn of War two running. Uh, it, so. it seemed almost nostalgic to the halcyon <laughs> days of of <laughs> Demi God. Yes, <laughs> it did harken back to those days. Uh, yeah, I don't know what it is, if it's me or it's the world. So I used to have so few... I blame, I blame Tom. It could have been I mine, just, yeah. That's the thing. We don't know. There was, there was some spat between my computer and Troy's computer. And who knows? Was that... It was in Dawn of War 2. Was that the yep. same spat that our computers were having in Demigod? Who knows? Uh, it's, that, it's that multiplayer voodoo. Well, hopefully they've made up for the future. Um, so next week, we'll see what's on tap then. Uh, you'll know the topic uh, as soon as we do. Well, hopefully we'll know it sooner. Thank you for listening. Uh, say goodbye, guys. Goodbye, Good night, guys. everyone. Imagine rap music here. <laughs> nice. <laughs>